it's Alana and Jacqueline and you're back for another episode of black and yellow you ready to talk about corona uh well considering we are recording um fairly early I I don't know if I'm ready for um a a beard this early in the morning (laughs) (laughs) I mean you know I also don't drink too much right so Asian glow early in the morning I don't know about that (laughs) jack a little beer at 9 17 in the morning come on live on the wild side (laughs) by 2020 you know (laughs) by the end of uh 2020 you might be drinking beers at 9 15 who knows we'll see with this next election but if only we were up at this hour to talk about lovely ice cold beers i mean that wouldn't be black and yellow right no Uh, Black and drunk, we are talking, or black and yellow exactly. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we are talking about the one, the only coronavirus. Now, oh, the coronavirus. I know. Now, if you hear that and you are ready to turn off this episode or pause it, change to another podcast, hold up. Don't go so fast because this episode today is not telling you about where the virus came from and giving you this big backstory and chemical history of the coronavirus because that's already been done. There's a lot of that going on and around right now. We want to focus on uh, a different aspect of the coronavirus, which has been taking heat and gaining speed more and more around the United States. And that's the xenophobia that's been sparked by the fear of the coronavirus. Um, Mm -hmm. There's been a a big upswing in racism towards East Asians and Asian Americans writ large uh, by people who might not be so familiar with Asian Americans might not have close contact with them or maybe very little experience with them but in the wake of the coronavirus fears and chaos and stress is really high and so xenophobia or this sort of racism against people who are from a different country uh, has seen a big upswing yeah and I, I I know you you did say in America or in the U.S. but it's actually way more than it's global um, you know, there has been, you know, it has truly, I mean, I, I agree. I think viruses scare everyone, right? Like that's only natural. Right. But, but this coronavirus has definitely exposed a deep seated xenophobia that has, uh, been, been, been in the underlyings of our culture for a long, long time, you know? And I don't think, and it's definitely not just in the U S it's, it's everywhere. I mean, the, the UK, has had so many um, racist assaults and attacks that have been happening to kids, um, you know, high school kids and adults. And it's just, it's just so saddening and, and really goes to show how you can combine fear and ignorance and have just, you know, a, a ridiculous, um, it almost feels like, the the point I was reading this article and it was interesting. It almost feels like it takes the the actual uh, attention off of people who have the coronavirus. Yeah, but to, but to totally. something, it becomes something totally different. You know. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I will say, I'm sorry that I I put the the xenophobia so small scale because you're absolutely right. It is a worldwide fear that's happening right now, and so it's not just the U.S. that's being affected. You are completely correct about that. And I, again, sit corrected. Um, (laughs) If you don't know what xenophobia is, which I'm sure many of our listeners do, but if you don't, that's cool. Xenophobia is from the Greek word xenos, meaning stranger or foreigner, and phobos, meaning fear. So a fear of a stranger or a foreigner. And uh, COVID-19, a.k.a. the coronavirus disease of 2019, was or is a public health emergency excuse me, that started in Wuhan, China, and it feels like it's leading, it's going to be this massive pandemic, at least the stresses and the fears are making it feel that way. However, it is something to note that as of yesterday, late at night, uh, yes, we are recording on Tuesday, so this would be Monday night, there were reports coming out of China that COVID-19 cases have begun to taper off. 
So mm-hmm. I feel like before we launch into this episode, I do want to add a little bit of positivity, a little bit of a silver lining, since this is going to be a rather heavy episode because we're talking <laughs> racism. Woohoo! <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'll give you a little bit of a heads up on what uh, the coronavirus is, and then we'll actually go into the racism that's been happening. So I'll, I'll make it quick and dirty, but coronavirus, it's essentially an umbrella term for a large family of viruses that cause illnesses ranging from the common cold all the way to severe respiratory diseases. And there's six kinds of coronaviruses total. Uh, if you were a tender babe or maybe a teenager between the years of 2002 or 2003, you probably know of one type of coronavirus already. That would be the severe acute respiratory syndrome aka SARS do you remember that breakout from back in the day oh I sure do (laughs) SARS is gone now but I remember when SARS was going around and it felt like the same level of fear but because social media wasn't around right the, the xenophobia that I'm sure came along with it wasn't as viral we didn't really know about it I'm sure it was happening um, but yeah, SARS, little little throwback. Yeah, which I think um, I, I think that it, SARS is like um, it's interesting you bring up SARS. I was gonna bring up SARS, but you did it first. Um, go for it. So it, it it's almost like SARS, you know, set it up in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Not not that any of them are even remotely related, um, but because it comes from the same country, and you know, um, also had sort of this kind of. Um, mysteriousness in the sense of you know um you don't know when when you had it you know because of the incubation period and all that stuff but you're right I think I think having SARS as like a platform for a lot of people to then relate coronavirus to even though like I said already it's it's hard to correlate much of them together but I Mm -hmm. think you um, another good point you said is that there wasn't social media so actually a lot of people were in the dark about SARS and therefore didn't have so many fears surrounding it which maybe helped the the in in the aspects of you know racist racism spreading Um, 100 percent. but go on I'm sorry I just had a no 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 no. you're totally right about that um the other one was is a middle east respiratory syndrome aka MERS which I don't Mm. In the time that we've been alive, I don't necessarily remember a MERS outbreak. I think you can, like MERS, I think is still around if you are hanging out in, you know, emergency rooms in, you know, the Middle East or Saudi Arabia, you have a chance of getting MERS. But I think here in the United States, MERS is a, a non-fear. I see. I haven't heard too much about that one. I hadn't either until until researching for this podcast slash listening to other podcasts about it. But SARS, I remember wholeheartedly because people were hunkering down and getting ready to lock in for SARS the way that people are predicting that lockdowns are going to happen for yeah. uh, COVID-19. Exactly. Right, very <laughs> then, similar. Right. Totally. And then the other four coronaviruses are the types of coronaviruses that cause about a quarter of the common colds that we get. So generally, when we get the common cold, we're not like, oh, cough, cough, I have coronavirus. We're like, oh, cough, cough, I have the common cold. <laughs> just, right, just right. I mean, you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear about that. And then um, coronaviruses are zoonotic, so they jump from animals to humans. We will get to that later on in the episode. And uh, the reason that it's dangerous is because it attaches deep in your lungs. So generally, when we have the common cold, we get like the sniffles and the phlegminess and the sneezing and the you know all that stuff in our masking but this actually attaches deep into our lungs and it gives us fevers and dry coughs and shortness of breath and other and other respiratory difficulties and then if it doesn't get better it turns into a viral pneumonia which when something is viral antibiotics will not work and then that's Mm -hmm. when you die right so quick and dirty stats about uh the coronavirus but let's get to the meat of this episode which is the coronavirus is building a lot of fear and hostility against east asians and a lot of this is a, is coupled with bad information misinformation maybe dormant racism that mm-hmm. has always existed within some people's hearts and minds but 
never necessarily had a a, a reason to act on it. Right, if that makes any right. sense. Right, right, definitely. I mean, not so yeah, now, in a way of like globally being allowed to then you know, not that it's it's not validated or or allowed or excusable at all, but that but that it's 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 obvious that something that is a virus that it's going to cause such a a worldwide um scare you know mm-hmm. then is is going to have a, the result of people's attitudes and words and and looks and stares um not uh, be unable to be um h- hidden you know yeah exactly um over at vox media Edith Bronco Sanchez, who is a professor of pediatrics at Columbia University Irving Medical Center, said, quote, misinformation coupled with the fear that it provokes can bring existing xenophobia to light. As human beings, we are afraid of the things we don't know, but our response should be to educate ourselves, not to further spread and give oxygen to fear and misunderstandings. Right. I think I love that quote. I read I read that article um, on Vox. Um, yeah, I think I think it's so I think the fear is is the biggest fear coupled with the ignorance. And again, the misinformation is, is what is like a perfect cocktail um, mm-hmm. to like a perfect equation um, uh, to have, you know, all of these uh, xenophobia uh, uh ways of being happening i think i mean if we want to take it way 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 back i think um i think that's sort of uncovering what has been long um baked into western culture you know like i i Mm -hmm. think it if you want to go the history route you know all the way from the 1800s you know with the chinese exclusion act which uh, was the first immigration law that excluded an entire ethnic group. You know, it it yep. didn't allow Chinese to come into United States, Chinese laborers. Um, you know, we couldn't get citizenship. We couldn't own land. You know, um, there was just so many things that have been embedded that the seeds have been planted for such a long time. And we may Mm -hmm. think as a collective, as a group, you know, Oh my gosh, it's 2020. We're so diverse and transparent and, and, you know, we're all about um, equal rights and all this stuff, but to be, you know, I mean, just in the wave of like feminism, you know, I mean, there's still so much that we have to uncover. And I, yeah. And to be clear, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, do your thing. You're good. I was going to say, even up until this day, um, we still have a president in office who has been trying to restrict immigration for Chinese students and Chinese scholars since scholars, excuse me, since 2018. So, yeah, he he definitely targeted the Chinese students and the elites at U.S. schools. I mean, people who have worked here, you know, like mm -hmm. professors were getting fired for being Asian. Like that was that was mind blowing. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's been long. Um, I think the seeds, you know, have been embedded and I think the coronavirus was the perfect environment to allow these seeds to sort of sprout, you know, they might've been dormant, like you, like you had mentioned earlier, but I think, um, having the coronavirus gave it a perfect timing and like UC Berkeley, did you read that about UC Berkeley? Oh, yeah, mind blown. Oh, girl, I got some rage <laughs> tweets here. You know what's up? Well, let's let's get into it because I feel like we're we're talking about a lot of the xenophobia, and it's taking place in a couple of different forms. It's right. either rage texts, which a couple of them here. I've got one quote feels like death. I chink, I have the coronavirus. Here's another one. Coronavirus has reached Europe. Time to suit up and beat up any chink I see. But Mm. here was the winner from UC Berkeley. Xenophobia. Fears about interacting with those who might be from Asia and guilt about those feelings. And you better believe that that backlash was swift and vicious. But it's not just taking place in the form of tweets. It's also spreading into physical violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, an Asian woman in New York was assaulted by a black man who 
justified his actions by calling her, quote, a diseased bitch because she had a face mask on or an Asian student in middle school in Los Angeles was beaten up by his peers because he was Asian and the and his peers, because kids are assholes, uh, believe that he had the coronavirus simply right. because of how he looked. Or East Asian travelers are having a hard time booking hotel rooms or motel rooms. I believe it was Motel 6 that came or motel, whatever umbrella. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like a super eight chain. That's what it is. That's what it was. I knew there was a number in there somewhere. Um, They came under fire because they had so many videos. Yeah, because they weren't (laughs) renting rooms to East Asian travelers or fake flyers with the um, with counterfeit World Health Organization seals. You know, those flyers that if there is a health scare or an epidemic, uh, the World Health Organization will send out flyers or memos or pieces of literature warning against whatever health emergency is happening while well, people have been making fake ones putting counterfeit world health seals on them warning against eating at places like panda express so Jeez. it's taking all kinds of forms it's online but it's also physical violence in person it's mm-hmm. hitting at an economical level oh i my know gosh, that yeah the dow and you know the mortgage rates even this morning was like right a thing about mortgage rates being slashed because of the coronavirus or i drove through our chinatown los angeles's chinatown uh this weekend just to sort of see what's happening i had heard reports that new york's chinatown was was vacant and restaurants that would normally be full with long lines and long wait times yeah were here too empty. LA. yeah and our chinatown was noticeably quieter i won't say it was deserted or just dead because it's chinatown in downtown los angeles it's never actually going to be that but um it was noticeable like i had an easy time finding a parking spot to put it to you that way yeah which is like uncommon over the weekend in uh downtown la chinatown for those of you that don't know it was easy to find a parking spot which was a sign to me that okay it's quieter than normal but you know LA goes hard like LA Chinatown yeah. still goes hard I am proud of LA for that um but all that being said this fear and hostility has has spurned has has sparked its own new type of phobia it's called xenophobia and that's mm-hmm. hostility specifically against China its people people from Chinese descent and Chinese culture that is at the mo- at this moment in time how pervasive this hostility is yeah um so i want to kind of shift gears into somewhat of more of the the stereotypes and the misheld beliefs about asians that you can see these themes sort of trickle down into today's society you know i think um for a long time and it's and still to this day you know, the entire Asian community has always been lumped together into one indistinguishable mass, right? So yeah. despite us having completely diverse appearances, languages, backgrounds, personalities, yet we are still considered all Chinese according to what's going on right now. You know, someone who is... um from Thailand is is now being affected by the coronavirus just because they look Asian. And I right. think and I think um seeing that we are sort of have been the model immigrant, you know, of how we've been so have been able to be so successful in America in regards to schooling and I know how much money and class and everything. Um Coupled with the fact that we generally have this sort of more quiet demeanor, right? This more um, not so loud, right? We've covered this a lot in our Black and Yellow podcast, how we don't make noise. And right, so, put your head down, do the work. Right. And so if you can imagine now with people assaulting Asian Americans, East Asian Americans, and harassing them, you know, it's almost even scarier because it's this idea that we're quiet people, that therefore it can be done, 
right? And right. E- even to kids, like even to sixth graders, you know, kids are doing it to them in school, which is, which is something they should totally not be experiencing. I mean, these kids in England were egged, like it's just, it's just really ridiculous. And so, um, I think understanding how far this goes back and how, how people unconsciously, you know, Mm-hmm. can can start to begin to be extremely violent in their words and their actions and their tweets and their posts nowadays. I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, it's real. You know, right. Like for Berkeley to just normalize xenophobia, like that was just, I was, I was, I was flabbergasted. I was like, for, for also for a university that is 40% Asians. You know, like who who yeah. wrote that, right? Um, right, exactly. Like the normalization of this is also what sort of affects me and and disturbs me mostly because you know it's normal. Oh, it's okay. Like they won't fight back. They're quiet. You know, they don't make noise. They don't stir things up. You know, they'll put the their head down. They'll keep walking. You know, like it's it's just it's extremely problematic and it needs to stop. Um, I Anyways. couldn't agree more. Yeah. No, I, to- I totally hear you. And I could see why it's frustrating because it does mm-hmm. feel like whether you're East Asian or just Asian American right now in the world, you have to be on high alert. Right. At least that's what it feels like. And I'm like, look, I'm a black chick going. I totally get the feeling of racism and the feeling of having to like look around you and be really aware of the the world around you and make sure that people aren't looking at you or talking about you or snickering at you and i'm sure right now for asian americans and asians writ large everyone's on their toes and really fucking nervous and that's a really hard way to live because there's where's the humanity in that if you're fearful of your safety you know what i mean exactly and when i mean there have been asian people who are second third fourth generation asian americans who have never been to china you know, right. they've never even been to China. And now they are lumped in this outsider population, whatever, however you want to call it, when they don't even they could be more American than some Americans in a way, in the sense, if you want to yeah. like really go there, because maybe that American has actually traveled and seen other countries and has exposure, maybe understands more what it is to be more in that type of country versus someone who may be a fourth generation Asian American who has never left their America, which there's nothing wrong with that. But what's wrong is that now this Asian American is being lumped into this group of, you know, direct outsiders, which just based on what he looks like is completely not acceptable. You know, totally. It's the forever foreigner stereotype at play. The right. forever, the forever foreigner stereotype that America, or I would let's just say the world over, has had a really difficult time shaking. Right, like we and I can't. That's a, a trope we cannot shake. Right, definitely, and I think it also comes down to um, this idea of uh, you know this racist stereotypes that all, and I'm including most immigrants in this, is that you know we're dirty. Right. This kind of so there's this also this bit on Vox, which is really good and other articles I read about um, where. um, So I'm going to read this part. It said xenophobia has been intertwined with public health discourse for a very long time against many groups. Merlin Chow Kuanyan, historian and assistant professor of social medical scientists at Columbia University's Millman School of Public Health, told Vox, historically, in both popular and scientific discourse, contagious disease has often been linked in a blanket way to to population groups that thought to be outsiders, he says. Associations between germs and immigrants, for example, was a critical part in the early 20th century xenophobia that led to immigration restriction in New York City in the 1920s. City authorities justified racial segregation by drawing supposed links between germs and Mexican, Chinese, and African-American people. He points out that similar narratives were portrayed against Haitian immigrants in the early days of HIV epidemic in America, as they were the only group to be singled out as high risk because of their nationality. While othering often centers the white experience as superior and pure, fears of dirtiness also extend to conflicts outside of Western colonization. And he goes on and on about the Mennonite Republic. Like there, there really is like, end quote, but there really is, yeah. you know, I mean, 
you can definitely relate to this one. Oh, 100%. Because I think, yeah, I think that the way that when we're talking about germs and cleanliness versus dirtiness, we here in the United States like to phrase it as, oh, no, 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 we're trying to keep you and us safe. It's that sort of a thing where it's like, I'm looking out for you and I'm looking out for me. We're all in this together because we're all humans. And it's like, no, you're using that fear of dirtiness and germs as a way to restrict 100%, but also to make the other person feel less than. Like, let's right. be real. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Exactly. And I mean, that's what I, I mean. That's why, you know, SARS didn't help the situation, right? Because it's another supposed, you know, the, the whole supposedly someone ate a bat or cooked a bat. And I think with China and their, you know, um, exotic animal obsession um, and the black market, you know, and how they do, you know, eat bear bile and tiger paw and all these things that, you know, have have been spoken videos, you know, people going and video and, and, and recording and, and, you know, spreading it, like all these things don't necessarily also help the situation. And right. just because some of other countries, including Africa, including most of Asia, East Asia, Southern East Asia, their standards of living and public health um, can be seen in, in these places that are like kind of, you know, out there, like these far off places that, that are not America, um, right. that can be considered, you know, savage or, or unclean, you know, it, it does go back centuries ever since, you know, the, 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 the trade route. Yeah, totally. And I'm actually I'm glad that you brought up the markets because um, if you don't mind, I would like to take a small detour because the idea of a wet market to my American self is very foreign. Mm. I, I when I first heard about the coronavirus and where it began, which it was thought to be uh, to have originated out of a wet market in Wuhan, China, I was like, what is this wet market? I've seen the the pictures and I've seen bastardized versions in movies, but I wanted to understand more about it. And I wanted to understand it in a way that was not um, uh, uh, made to look extra scary or extra dirty or extra dramatic for TV and movie purposes. So did a little bit of research and I just wanted to figure out what a wet market was. And thank God, good old NPR uh, had my back. They recently did an episode on wet markets over on their podcast, All Things Considered. And they had a guest Jing Jean Su, I think I pronounced that right. I practiced a lot <laughs> last good. night. Sounds good to me. Okay, yes. Um, who is a research associate at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, and focuses on food security and safety in China. And this is what he had to say. Actually, Wet Markets is the predominant food retail outlet for fresh produce and meat in Chinese cities. A large city typically has a few hundred wet markets. Actually, the Chinese government has been trying to convert many of the wet markets in cities to supermarkets. They tried in 2002 but failed just because they were no longer able to provide the fresh food at a cheap price, so they lost their original customers. And when asked if live animals were sold there, since I think that is a component of wet markets, correct me if I am wrong. I'm sorry, can you repeat said, yourself? Uh, quest when asked about if live animals were sold there. Oh, which, I see. I'm, which I mean, I'm thinking I'm pretty it's a, sure. Okay, yeah, that's a unique characteristic. He said, yeah, yeah, in many of these wet markets, there are live animals. However, after the 2003 SARS outbreak, there has been some crackdown on selling live birds, live poultry, including live chicken and ducks as well. So in many wet markets in large cities, you probably won't find many live animals, but you can still find them in some of them. And then he mentions uh, wild animals. However, it is worth noting for purposes of this podcast and their podcast, he defines wild animals less as animals that are caught in the wild and more as a synonym for the word exotic. So mm -hmm. think about animals like hedgehogs, crocodiles, peacocks, Monkeys. snakes, exactly, etc. 
And when asked why eating wild animals was a delicacy in China, here's what he had to say. Quote, eating wild animals is considered a symbol of wealth because they are more rare and more expensive. And wild animals are also considered more natural and thus nutritious as compared to farmed meat. It is a belief in traditional Chinese medicine that it can boost the immune system, you know? Of course, mm-hmm. some people eat wild animals just because they're driven by curiosity. Because who wouldn't be driven by that curiosity? If I ate meat, I would probably be driven by that exact same curiosity. Um, but I, I felt like that was a, an important thing to spotlight because here in America, we don't do the wet markets, as you know. That concept right. is super foreign to us. We go to a Gelson's, a Whole Foods, a Vons, a Ralph's, or whatever, and all of our food is neatly packaged and behind right. sneeze guards. Yeah, I think the, the closest thing that... Exactly. Like, the closest thing that I have uh, would, I guess, consider a wet market would be Pike Place Market in Seattle. I guess that would technically be considered something like a wet market. But even then, that's super commercial and super. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I don't there, think it's a the, true there, wet market. Yeah, there, there is nothing. There is nothing like that here. Because when you go to Asia and you see those wet markets, the truth is, is that in America, the regulations are a lot uh, higher standards than Asia. Right. So here you have to comply with so many different regulations and rules and sanitary standards and safety and and all this stuff that Asia simply doesn't have. Or right. if they do, the people don't care or and if or and if they do care, <laughs> um, no one really like the police isn't going to come and say you know your 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 meat rack is actually six inches lower than where it should be so i need to shut you down but here in america we do we have these safety health standards for a reason right because here in america Mm -hmm. it's a lot about liability and insurance and it's just set up differently like that's not going to exist there you know it doesn't work that way and it hasn't for a long time uh, totally. And I don't think that enough Americans know that. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, like I don't what think is actually of- behind the, the reason why it is the way that it is. Right. But there's also a part of me that's like, there's a lot of fucking people in China. You know oh what my I mean? gosh. Everyone yeah. has to eat. Right. Like, like, can you imagine feeding a billion people? No. Yeah. Like, like I can either. Me <laughs> where my heart goes out to the people in China because I'm like, God, you have to feed people affordably. And you know what? Maybe wet markets are not something that we are used to here in the United States. But at the same time, I understand the need to affordably eat. Well, and to also, I mean? make, also to make money. Because think about it. Here in America, if I were to grow, like, I don't know, my, my lettuce heads and I wanted to just sell them for, you know, $3. And that's how I started to, you know, make my, and I'm like, maybe I'm a young child, right? And, but I'm working because I like to do it and I want to sell it. You know, that's not allowed here, you know? Uh, I didn't even think about that right. actually, but, but yeah, the, that's, you're totally right. But there, if people need to make money, they're able to, hopefully, I mean, I don't, I'm not, obviously I'm not an expert at this, so please do not quote me, but I can assume based on these markets is that you can grow your food and sell them without some inspector coming in and saying like, how are you growing them? Where are you growing them? You know, because people don't care. Yeah, actually, now that you say that, it was sort of like that in Tahiti too, where there was plenty of uh, roadside fruit stands. There was a couple people yeah. selling fish, like like freshly caught fish out of a cooler on the side of the road. And yeah, you are. I, I think that you are onto something. Like people have to make money to survive. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, if you're living off the land, whatever land that may be, to to one person the need for inspection and an official, I guess, stamp of approval is something that we become very accustomed to and it makes us feel safe. Right. Do you know what I mean? Totally. But at the end of the day, I feel like that feeling of safety comes at a cost. Oh, you know, because we get so used. Yeah. We get so used to the FDA saying this is safe and this is healthy to eat and this is not. And so I, I don't think that we see the blindsidedness of, oh, well, we're going to a country that doesn't have the equivalent of an FDA. I guess the food's not as safe. I guess it's not as clean. Like that false sense of security, I think, works both ways. And I think it's that false sense of security that feeds into this xenophobia. 
Right, right. I don't think one or the other is is better or 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 less than. I, th- I think what works just works, you know. And I do think a lot of yeah. people would say that, you know, in America, it does become really like regulated, and you feel like you are in a box, you know. Like if I wanted to just put something in front of my house and, and sell something, I I like I'd get shut down, you know. Yeah. And and that's not freedom, right? If you really wanted to right. go there, but also, you know, if you go to China, you know, they, they don't have as many opportunities as we do here. You know, their, their dad was a farmer, their mom was a farmer. They're probably going to be a farmer, you know, in, in some areas it's changing a lot too. Most of them are going to the city and working, but, but when you, when you think about this as, as a part of a whole, you start to realize that it's, it's just also just such a vast and different way of living and being and it has been this way for so long right Mm -hmm. then to have this coronavirus almost kind of like peel back all the hidden layers of racism that has been embedded just because at the core we are maybe inherently different in the sense of culture but we're also not because we are all inherently human so mm-hmm. there's something very dehumanizing about this whole situation as well, that it almost feels like the fear and the ignorance is spreading faster than the coronavirus, you know? Yeah, I would agree and, with that 100%. And it's, it's just like, I mean, what if we, tur- I mean, stuff with HIV, you know, like, you know, the LGBTQ community, we've seen it time and time again, where, you know, one group gets completely, um, isolated because of something that really may not even have nothing to do with the entire group but something for sure right can we talk about mask wearing for a second yeah i'm so glad you brought that up i i wanted to touch on that go for it it's all Um, you so in asia um wearing masks is extremely common um it's almost like how could i relate this to um sunglasses or headphones yeah okay great yeah so it's like you know you wear masks because a lot of times in asia the pollution depending on where you are the pollution can be really bad so you wear a mask to protect yourself from pollution if you are sick it is courteous to wear masks to not spread your sickness if you have a cold or a cough not the coronavirus um it's (laughs) it's a very it's a very normal thing right like it's it's as if sunglasses and headphones but here in america most of the times when you wear a mask is if you're in the hospital or as if you are really extremely sick right and there mm-hmm. is this like connotation that the that wearing a mask equals this right it's if like i don't know what what could be like an, one thing in america that like if if we do su- see them wearing it that that's like I don't know, maybe like like a, like a tattoo or a Band-Aid. Or it's like if someone's uh, wearing a Band-Aid, you're like, oh, that person's hurt or like he's bruised. Or correct. Like, but maybe he just has a small cut that he doesn't want to, um, you know, like it's not that it's going to infect or that it's like a severe thing, but it's just a precaution. It's prevention. Chinese medicine always comes down to prevention. And it, totally. and it comes and, and as a result, we want to prevent spreading. We don't want to breathe you know, um, polluted air. So we will prevent that by wearing a mask and it's common, you know, there's some really cute ones. It becomes like a fashion statement with some people, you know, you can customize it. I'm sure people really enjoy sort of having the artistic side of it as well. When we, we can think about that. Um, but then, you know, then it becomes really, really different here in America. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. I could not agree more. I traveled to Portland at the end of last year, like first week of uh, December. And I brought a couple masks with me because coronavirus fears were just starting and it's an airplane and it's, you know, the holiday season. And I talk for a living and I talk for this podcast. So the the need to stay healthy and not catch anything was very high to me. And I thought it, it was, it was an interesting case study because mm. generally when I see Asians or Asian Americans wearing the masks, I, I'm unfazed. I don't have any reaction. It's not uh-huh. positive. It's not negative. It's just, oh, they're wearing a mask for right. whatever reason. And I just keep right. walking. But I remember sitting on the airplane and getting a couple of looks from people around me, almost as if to like say that their their eye cuts and their side eyes were almost as if to say, really, a mask? Like you need to wear a mask on this airplane? 
And for me, the answer is like, yeah, like if I get sick, I don't make money. If I get sick, I don't record this show. So right. the the need to wear a mask was high. But I also felt that judgment. You did. And right? it was I, yeah. And it stung only because I was like, yo, like I'm doing this for you me and, <laughs> and uh, exactly. you. right like exactly. i'm protecting myself but but if you were sick you're doing that them for them because you could get someone sick if you sneeze you know right it's just it's the the one-sidedness of the mask i had never experienced until uh, taking that flight I see. and then on the flight home i was like Psh, i don't care what y'all think like mask on <laughs> hood down let all that recycled on- air Oh, yeah. Like, get it away from me. Um, But I felt like in that moment, I I understood what those those judgmental looks like. I understood Mm. how that felt in a way that I had never understood it before. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting to see how you can take something from another country and bring it to here. And it's something totally different, you know, because in China, it could be, you know, in a way you can see it as like a sign of respect. Like, hey, I'm protecting myself. So I don't have to get you sick. Like, so, oh, like, so thank you so much for wearing a mask, you know? Right. But here right. It's, it becomes like a, like an insult, like a, like a repulsiveness, like a, oh, like you're diseased, you're, you're sick. Like you must be like severely sick to wear a mask. So don't even like, why are you even outside of your house? You know, when right, she just, exactly. when she just might have a sore throat, like it's not even, you know, it's just, so I'm glad you brought that up because there has been more and more people now, you know, a lot of Asians, like I went to the, I mean, I'm, I'm deep in the St. Gabriel Valley and I'll go to the market and everyone's wearing masks now. You know, it's been, I think this, this, this fear is like amongst Asians a little bit scarier, I think, because I think yeah. um, more of the older community here, um, you know, it does affect more of the older and the younger community in the sense of like kids. Um, mm-hmm. And if you already have like a set of you know, health risks that have affected you. Um, but, but, oh, it also too, like you can't buy masks anymore. Like the correct one I think is the um, N95. Correct. Um, and there's no more and they're not bringing, you know, it, you, it, like you said, you brought this up, how it's actually affecting like our economy because mm-hmm. our relations with China are so important. Everything's made in China. I, I bet you, you have more things made in China in your house right now or anything of you than you do have made in America. Maybe not you because I know you like, you know, you do vintage and all that stuff. But but majority of the people. <laughs> I am sitting here clad in made in China uh, express okay. leggings okay. and a made in China gap shirt. So, yes, there you go. Right. percent. Like, like it's it's actually can can be really scary if we don't really it's not about. Yes, I understand. It's about it's about people getting sick and and not about people getting sick, but people have been getting sick and people have been dying and and getting infected. And I think it's important to get the cure, you know, as soon as possible, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure they're working as soon as they can, as much as they can. But the economic effects of it is also really scary because um, we also get a lot of our like prescription drugs from China. Yep. I mean, I think it's also worth noting there's no vaccines. Right. There's no they're, vaccine they're, against coronavirus at the moment or COVID-19, I mean. Right. So, you know, on an economic scale, like it kind of I get a I get a little freaked out a little bit sometimes. For sure. I I heard something an interesting theory about racism and how when a marginalized group is viewed by the majority group to be beneficial, then that group is somewhat embraced and the racism sort of goes dormant. And so in the case of the United States, Asian Americans or Asians that come from Asia are viewed as valuable because of their education, because of their brains, because of what they know, what they can do, their advancements in like, yeah, technology, medicine, things like that. And so the theory was saying, we as Americans accepted Asian Americans and Asians because we saw them as a valuable race, like the model minority myth at play. Right. But in the age of this coronavirus, these, these xenophobic thoughts that we never really actually got over. Right. We never really actually worked to make sense of them and, and put them to rest 
are now coming back to bite us in the ass. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the employer that is like, oh, yeah, I'll hire this Asian American person or people because they are good at X, Y, and Z things. Right. Oh, and it'll make me look more diverse, right? Because we want to be. Oh, and it'll make me money, too. Right. We want to have representation. We don't want to offend anyone. We want to be all inclusive, you know, commercials, ads, movies, Hollywood, all that whole bit about you know, having representation, representation matters, right? Yeah. It's like this whole idea of like acceptance without having to get too close. Right. You Until can work for me. Right. Like you can work for me, but we're not going to talk about like culture and family and stuff until the coronavirus hits. And then right. suddenly these thoughts that we as a nation never got over are now coming back to bite us in the ass because I do think that this is a dangerous time for Asian Americans and for Asians and it is on I believe us as allies regardless of what race you are to not succumb to the fear or the fear mongering and stick by our fellow human beings right right I mean the only people you really should be scared is the princess cruise people And the people who are coming back from China, who have been to China, which I understand is quite a lot. And it's also not just Chinese people, you know? It's a ton of people, especially because it happened during – it was, like, in the wake of Chinese New Year. But, yeah, I mean, I do – like, you don't think I go around – like, literally, I went for a jog this morning and I was like, are people going to look at me and think I am, like, diseased? You know, like, everywhere Mm -hmm. I go now, I have this extra layer of, like – I like, I am aware of what I look like and – and I'm aware now of how people see me and how they can possibly see me because of this coronavirus. Like my brother noticed, but we walked into like a deli shop to buy something. And um, yeah, he saw like an, an elderly couple kind of like stare at us for like a little bit longer than they should have. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even notice. I was so oblivious at that time. But this was, you know, at least this was a couple weeks ago, at least when it still wasn't so crazy. Um, Arabia it already was and I just was you know not informed as well but yeah I didn't because I know I don't have anything to worry about I didn't go to China I'm um, I've been here this whole time and so why why you know so I was kind of just like I'm just gonna be me but I had right. no I had no idea you know how, how fearful people have had been had had already gotten and mm-hmm. my brother when we got in the car my brother was like did you see how they looked at us and I was like no and he was like oh they they definitely uh they definitely looked at us and I was like oh man like do I have to go around now and like you know hide and and or not decide not to go out like it's just yeah I was I was kind of like man this is I never thought that I would go through something like this you know in this oh totally way. it's 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 completely dehumanizing and i mean you could go out and be extra vigilant and be on high alert on high alert or you can take a page out of comedian jenny yang's book she had an amazing tweet that i just thought was great which was fun coronavirus game for asians cough a little as you pass by strangers I know. keep the racists on their toes <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah, that. that. Is, I couldn't I've, help but share it. I know. I've definitely thought about that. Just be like, my brother and I were joking around in our in our safe home um, mm-hmm. the other day about how maybe we should just go around coughing. <laughs> that's just, that's just ridiculous. Well, now that we're getting now that we're getting to the lighter part of this conversation, what's our call to action? Like, how do we, as allies and as people of the culture, how do we? move forward and make life easier and better during this time i mean first of all i would say like an overall an overall good um attitude or or behavior to have is to just not get so like at first of all get educated right figure out like what exactly is going on in the world Second of all, I don't think anyone should be extremely too freaked out in the sense of where they start to panic because panic isn't going to help anyone. If you want to be prepared, make the steps, right? Like stock up on whatever you think you need to stock up on, buy a backup generator. Like if you really want to go there, right? Like have a plan. Don't just like freak out, maybe freak out first and then have a plan. But I mean, there's many ways we can go about how we can, we can, you know, be a part of this as far as allies, but knowing that we're also in this in a way, you know, because we don't know. Um, 
and and to err on the side of caution, I think it is important. But I guess what I'm saying here is to not go the racist way, you know, oh, but yeah, do the totally. responsible way. I agree with you. I think remember, let your humanity be your North Star always. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you mm-hmm. are another person, remember that you wouldn't want to be treated cruelly for being a person right. of a different race. So please like let that be your guider. But I also think um, Judy Chu, she's a congresswoman here in the San Gabriel Valley. I love her, her little tidbit of information. Which oh, yeah. Is Hers was the- great. I read it. Yeah. The best way to stop the spread of coronavirus is to wash your hands and not perpetuate racist stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and like I and I drop. and I watched a video last night. Make sure you wash your hands for at least twenty seconds. Right. That's like the proper way to rid of like all the, like I've, it was like this doctor talking about how to properly wash your hands. Anyways, I didn't know that, so I thought I'd share it with everyone else. Twenty minutes, twenty seconds, you guys. Twenty seconds of yeah. soapage. For sure. And I think if you are an ally, like I find myself being, I think, um, you know, if you see something, say something. If you are the kind of person who wants to fight this hatred, you know, if you see something happening, catch it on video, approach that victim afterwards and be like, hey, I saw what just happened to you. I have a video. If you want to go to the authorities, I'm happy to help you out. Like, let's be there for each other and let's step up or pull up, as Rihanna would say, uh, to help each other it's a really tough time and a really scary time it is and i think based on what you said you know if you are in an area where you do see someone um, of an asian descent you know getting attacked physically like or even before you know um, how can you help them you know in that situation whether it is just you know you know stepping in not stepping in calling for backup calling the police recording it whatever you need to do because you know you have these innocent people who cannot defend themselves if they're young or old or you know are getting attacked out of nowhere. Um, I think it's important to stand up and, and make sure that we all help each other in this um, and, you know, fight for love because that's, that's ultimately what matters most. Ooh, fight for love. I'm going to leave it there. That's the show guys. <laughs> we hope you Them enjoyed are it. All of our thoughts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let us know what you think. Um, you know, if, if you have had, you know, certain, certain moments of, 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 uh, xenophobia thoughts and or if you haven't or if you've been exposed to it or if you have been part of it you know we'd love to know um your thoughts and um your shares because it's always good to share yep we are the black and yellow podcast i am alana webster you can find me on the gram at renegade of fun I'm Jacqueline Chung young on the gram and we're also the black and yellow podcast um so, oh, also, if you can, if you want, rate and review us. Um, we'd love to know what you guys are thinking about, you know, all our episodes. And it really helps keep our little baby alive. Yeah, totally. Follow us on Spotify and also tell a friend about the show. The show is nothing without the listeners and the amazing community that you guys have given to us. So spread the word. If you think someone would like the show, let them know we're here and let them know about this episode or any other episode that you think they might vibe on uh, during their daily commute. Alrighty, guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you later. Bye, guys. This episode was produced by Christian Humes over at Zeitheist. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. We are on the gram and you can find us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. I'm Jacqueline Chung Young on Instagram. And I am Alana Webster, but my handle is at Renegade of Fun. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and Spotify at Black and Yellow Podcast. The podcast is important. It is important. <laughs> um, and you can rate, review, please subscribe if you like. We'd love to hear your thoughts, any comments, any concerns, any questions. Reach out to us. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you guys. Definitely. One love. Stay woke and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.